Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do in every one of these podcasts, um, I have a huge amount of gratitude that goes out to the people that listen to these podcasts. Um, Because without you, Inside Personal Growth wouldn't exist. And my passion for this um, would wane. So I want to thank all of you for your support um, because I'm working on podcasts like 520 at this point. So thank you all for uh, tuning in around the world and listening to the words of wisdom from our authors and thought leaders. And today joining me from Texas is Dina Dwyer Owens. And she is the author of a book called Values, Inc., How Incorporating Values into Business and Life Can Change the World. Good day to you, Dina. How are you? Good day, Greg. So blessed to be on this uh, this podcast with you. Thank you. Well, we thank you for taking the time. And if it wouldn't be for our mutual friend, RJ Kelly, we probably wouldn't be talking. So a shout out to him because of, of his work uh, in philanthropy. I was able to meet Dina. And for those of you who don't know, she was profiled on Undercover Boss, or her our company was, a couple of years back. And I'm going to let my listeners know just a little bit about you, Dina. She is the co-chair of the Dwyer Group. America also knows her for participating in CBS uh, Emmy Award-winning hit reality show, Undercover Boss. The Dwyer Group is the parent company for eight service-based franchise companies with approximately $1 billion in system-wide sales. Well, it's a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. And the foreword of this book is from a good friend of both of ours and uh, probably listened to by millions of people out there, Brian Tracy. And Brian writes in the foreword um, that when you live your values and your innermost convictions, you experience feelings of self-esteem and personal value. Couldn't have said it any better. What are Why are values so important to you personally and to have clear values for your organization? Well, number one, I think it just feels good, Greg, when you do the right thing. <laughs> and when you know what your values are and you work hard to live up to those values, um, you're doing your best to do the right thing, which is uh, being, being a person of integrity and strong character. So in business, uh, I was fortunate, uh, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit, to, to be brought up by uh, my father, who was very big on operating uh, his business with core values. So what I have learned in the world of business is when you treat people with respect and dignity, which is what our values stand for, something wonderful always happens. Um, so I think uh, it's imperative in organizations that they have very clearly written values and they work hard every day to execute on those values. Well, so now in... As you, as we said, in 2012, your company was profiled on Undercover Boss's CVS award-winning show, and you discussed living rich, which is an acronym for you, R-I-C-H. Can you explain those values to the listeners and the importance that they have for the, the Dwyer Group? Yes. Living rich is an acronym for respect, integrity, customer focus, and having fun in the process. So at the Dwyer Group, when we say um, we live rich, it's really about how we treat people. And as, as our friend Ken Blanchard says, when you treat people with respect and dignity, offer great products and service, then profit is simply the applause you get <laughs> for doing, doing that well. So at the Dwyer Group, 
we focus on living rich. And under each one of those core areas of respect, integrity, customer focus, and having fun, we have very specific values. Some people might call them standards, Greg, but it, it really lays out what do we mean by respect? Because your definition of respect might be a little different than mine, so we don't want to leave anything to, to, to guesswork. We want our employees and our franchisees to know exactly what we mean. And, and going undercover, I wanted to find out where our frontline team members, nine to 10,000 employees of our franchisees, living rich in the customer experience they were providing uh, out there in, in your homes and businesses. And the good news is they were. Yeah, they definitely were. And it was a great show. And I, I remembered you going undercover. And, you know, you were going through some of your own trials and tribulations at that time as well. And, you know, your your father was a really hard driving man. You spoke about this on Undercover Boss. And he, he was molded like my mother, who I just lost my mother in February by the Great Depression. Um, he had vision that was, and he was an amazingly hard worker. And obviously that value was uh, implanted in you. What impact did your father have on you? And why do you need to be your own person and not try to emulate others in a drive for success? Because this is so important. It's like, hey, okay, your father founded the company, but the reality is you've got to move forward and you you need to be your own person. And I think this is a very important element. Well, my father began the Dwyer Group in 1981. He had studied many, many great leaders. He was just a student of, of leadership. And the two common themes that he found amongst all the leaders he studied, whether they were business leaders, church leaders, um, not-for-profit leaders, was number one, is they had clearly written values that they worked hard to live by every day. Number two, is they worked hard to be the best version of themselves. So I, I think it's key that... Um, Whoever's listening out there, you know, we're all leaders. If we're influencing anybody, we're a leader, whether we're a parent or whether we're leading a, a you know, multi-billion dollar organization. Um, and people look to us to be authentic. And the world is hungry, Greg, as you know, for authentic, authenticity uh, in leadership. They want you to be real. And when you're real, people trust you. And we know what happens when there's a high level of trust. <laughs> Great things happen. Um, so I think it's imperative um, that people lead with their values. And my father just grounded that into me and my five siblings and the organization. And that's why the legacy is carried on because we've all taken ownership, but we're all working hard to be the best version of ourselves in the process. And the one original value he had, Greg, that I can never forget is we must re-earn our positions every day in every way. So he would say, celebrate the victories of yesterday, learn from the mistakes, you know, don't, don't sulk about them, but learn from them and then give it everything you got today. Most definitely. And inside of that, embedded in that, is this ethics, this whole ethical kind of place that we come from. I just got off an interview with another gentleman about this in leadership and ethics, which, you know, that has been faltering. You can look in the news. You can see all the instances in corporations. You can see the instances in government where we're seeing that change. Um, hang on one second. I'll cut this. Um so if you would please, you know, you cite this statistic that 73% of the people surveyed believe that the code of ethics makes their company a better place to work. Why do you believe that this is so? And why is it so important at the Dwyer Group? 
Uh, number one, I think it's because people know what's expected of them. And I'll give you a very quick story. My daughter, uh, for years, interned at the Dwyer Group in different roles in the company, never working directly for me. But as a young person, I wanted to really understand what she thought about the Code of Values in a work environment. Uh, of course, she grew up around the Code of Values, but never always appreciated them as a young person. But I said to her, so, so after you've, you know, you've worked for the company in a couple of different capacities for different folks in our organization, what do you really think about the Code of Values? She said, Mom, never get rid of them because I know exactly what's expected of me at the Dwyer Group, and I like knowing what's expected of me as an employee where I've worked for you know, a couple of other organizations. I never really knew what they wanted me to do and how they wanted me to, to handle certain things. So she had permission um, to hold other people accountable if, if, if she believed they weren't living the values. At the same time, she knew exactly how she was expected to behave. So I think it's, it's, just, it's just great. And I think when companies lead with their core values, and it starts with leadership, because if the leader of the organization isn't really committed, it'll never work because people won't follow somebody they don't believe is living those values. But when you do this well, Greg, it attracts great people. We've attracted fantastic employees at the Dwyer Group. I, I got a call the other day from a woman who would like to come to work for us. She's working for a very, very large organization right now um, in the Northeast, and she's going to be moving to Waco to get out of that that rat race. And she said, I researched companies in Waco, Texas, because I wanted to find the best company to work for in an environment that I feel like I can contribute, but also be real. And she said, the Dwyer Group is on the top two of my list. So we're attracting great employees, and we're also attracting great franchisees because they want to be with groups that are aligned in values. Well, and I think what you do is you also, as an organization, when you uh, embrace these values and these code of ethics, you give people autonomy. And that's one of the things that's so important is purpose and autonomy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you mentioned that the golden rule begins with trust, and you cite uh, Seth Godin, who states that in virtually every industry, the trusted brand is the most profitable. How is it that you help your employees exemplify and hold the standard of trust with your customers? Yeah, you know, the thing that I talk about more than anything is our code of values. As co-chair of the company now, my number one job is to continue <laughs> to train our team to the importance of living our values. So I think the way we exemplify trust with the customers is that we live our values. One value uh, alone, I just think of one that comes to mind, is operating in a responsible manner above the line, which really means be accountable for your actions. So you know what? If you've made a mistake, I don't want to hear all the excuses. Just own the mistake and let's correct it and move forward. And that creates trust because people go, you know, hey, as a leader, she just admitted she was wrong. I made, I made a mistake just this morning, Greg. <laughs> the first thing I did is walk in and apologize to the team that I made a mistake. It was my fault. Could I have found somebody to blame it on? Probably, if I was that kind of a person. But I wasn't going to. It was my fault that I, I made this mistake this morning. And you know what? I feel good owning it. And I think the other parties felt good, too, because they knew that they could trust that I wasn't going to blame it on anybody else. Yeah, you know, when you go into meetings like that, it's so important that the authenticity that you showed. And and I was speaking with another author just a few days ago about a book called Holacracy, which is the way to run an organization. And he was talking about meetings, just like you did. You went into the meeting and you apologized for that, being your authentic self. But more importantly, a lot of times we ask people to make agendas for meetings, and the agenda is someone else's. What he recommends is flip it on his head and ask people in the, those meetings, 
what's the most troubling thing on your mind right now that you would like to discuss? And then it mm-hmm. creates the agenda. And so it's, it was such a, 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 just a breath of fresh air to hear that we're trying to listen to others more important than hear ourselves. And that takes me to this next question. You speak about being a good listener and inclusion of your employees and decisions. What impact do you believe including and listening to your employees has on the corporate culture and the bottom line? Yeah, a huge impact. One of the things I I mentioned in my book, Values, Inc., is have you ever heard anyone complain that you listen too much? (laughs) You know, you you hear people complain about you talk too much, but uh, you don't usually hear anybody complaining about somebody being too good of a listener. So I think as leaders, we can only excel at a few things if we're really honest with ourselves, Greg. I'm only really good at a few things, and I'm surrounded by people that are better than I am at most things. And if I listen to their input, whether they're franchisees or employees at the Dwyer Group, and they feel heard, that goes a long way. Not only do we get great ideas, and people aren't afraid to bring great ideas to the table because they're not going to be embarrassed because somebody shuts them down because their idea wasn't the best, for example. But instead, we grow. and Our employees will give us a lot more input. And, and frankly, their ideas are usually much better than mine <laughs> if we'll just listen, really listen. It's so true. Uh, Most of the time, the employees do have valuable input to put in, but in a lot of companies, the structure and the culture doesn't allow for that. And that brings me to this question on um, diversity. You have a chapter on perspectives and state to embrace the beauty of diversity. We have to embrace the beauty of ourselves. And that requires us to be transparent and accepting. How is it that you, as the co-chair of the Dwyer Group help your employees to find their authentic self and be able to express that authentic self. Yeah, it starts with me, Greg. It starts with me being willing to be authentic and, and be my, my real self. I, if you watch the Undercover Boss episode, as you did, you know I, I have a tendency to show my emotions very openly. So I, I tear up pretty easily. And in the old days, I think my employees originally thought, well, wow, she certainly shows her emotions quite easily. And now it's just kind of like, we appreciate that she's so willing to be honest about how she's feeling about something. I'm not, I'm not a cry baby, but I will, if I'm touched by something positive or negative, you know, I I can tear up and I I can't hide it because that's just who I am. But I think it starts with leaders um, being okay with being themselves. And then the other employees feel like it's safe. It's safe to be who I really am here. And and our values really uh, align with how we're supposed to treat one another so uh, be very careful to criticize others because, you know, as, as they say, there's always the, uh, the beam in our own eyes when we're looking at uh, the, the, the splinter in somebody else's. Yeah, it's like uh, the one finger pointing out and two fingers pointing yep. back at you. That's We've all heard that one before. So quit pointing the finger out there. It's not out there. It's inside you. And that's where, where this yeah. is where this all changes. And it's, and it's such a relief for me as I do more and more of these interviews, finding the shift in consciousness about that. And that is so important. It used to be a top-down rule. Um, We didn't see as much servant leadership. We now see uh, tons more servant leadership and changes in the structure of the culture of organizations, all for the better. Now, you acquired a company called Five Star Painting. Uh, Was it 2000? And I forget what year it was. Just January this year. (laughs) Okay, so 2015. And you tell a great story in the book about the cost of breaking promises. Can you tell the story again and the lessons for the listeners really about the cost of breaking promises? Yeah, well, we had a situation where a customer, a very elderly woman had called 
uh, one of our franchisees for an estimate. And the uh, franchisee finally got the, the customer comfortable um, with the estimate and with who they were that she was willing to give the address. And uh, our franchisee later found out that the reason she was so hesitant is her husband had passed away a few years earlier, and he was kind of the handyman around the house, but she lived alone, kind of on a lakeside uh, property, um, pretty pretty out there, you know, so she was, she was re- a little scared, um, but got very comfortable with our franchisee and, and his workers, and they ended up uh, being hired to do the work on her deck. She had lots of deck uh, facing the, the lake, and as the, the work progressed, the team noticed that there was a lot more wood rot than the, they had detected or that the customer even pointed out to them. So the estimate had gone from, I think, $10,000 $10, to uh, $14,000 to do the job right, which is a big job, especially for, you know, for somebody who's uh, an older lady. But they explained it to her in complete detail. She totally agreed and uh, approved the project and was very satisfied with the results. And then later came back and said she wanted some additional uh, work done on the rotted uh, deck railing. And a lot of the railing needed to be replaced, but then she wanted them just to paint over some of the railing. And, and although the painter for that franchisee was very skilled at doing deck railing repair, um, the franchisee declined the additional work because they felt like it really wasn't the they weren't really the best for that work. Um, they, they felt a licensed general contractor would have done a better job with that project. And it would have meant a lot of money to the franchisee too. But they felt at the end of the day, they wanted to do what was best for the customer, not just make a little extra money because their painter did have some carpentry work. So it was important to them not to enter into an agreement that they really couldn't keep uh, in a way that would be uh, in their own hearts, um, the right thing to do. And, and what we've learned is that when you, you know, if they would have taken that job and not done a great job, it could have caused even danger to that customer or to, to folks who might have been on her property. And in business, the cost of breaking promises is huge. So they'd rather have not made an agreement that they couldn't keep than to make one that they had to break. So what my studies show is that when employers break promises to employees or contractors break promises to customers, it has a huge impact. It, it decreases the satisfaction. Decre- decreases the commitment that the, the customer or the employee has to the organization, decreases the work performance. You know, people are not going to be nearly as productive if they're working for a company that continues to break agreements. The employees end up getting burnt out because it's tiring. It's tiring to know if this company is going to really live up to what they say they're going to do, which causes employee turnover and even some deviant behavior, you know, because mm-hmm. people are trying to try to protect themselves. They feel like they're a victim. So we think it's so important to, to make only agreements you're willing, able, and intend to keep. But when you know you can't keep those agreements, because none of us are perfect, to let other folks know as soon as possible that you can't keep them and you can avoid all these losses that I just mentioned. That's a great story about uh, ethics as well. You know, there's somebody who easily could have said, hey, we can make an extra $5,000 or something mm-hmm. on this job. But their ethics uh, overruled and said, look, we're not qualified um, we'll we'll do it. And the cost of breaking a promise like that to say we could do the right job when they knew they couldn't was just huge. Now, you dedicate a chapter to communications and how technology has impacted our communications, of which we're all aware, you know, between texts and emails and um, all the ways that we're being bombarded, our computers, um, with technology today, and also the speed. But considering the use of these, how are you helping your employees at becoming better communicators as well is easing the workload because the result of all of this is we're always on, our environments are on, we're working at breakneck, breakneck speed. Um, what are you doing within the Dwyer Group uh, to ease some of this and maybe help people through the stress of it all? 
Yeah, what one of our core values is listening with the intent to understand what is being said and acknowledging that what is said is important to the speaker. And it, when you have a serious conversation to have with somebody, we teach our employees, do not do that through texting. Do not do that through email. Get up and go to their office or, or set an appointment to get face-to-face. And this could be employee to employee. It can be uh, you know, a, a contractor to a, a customer. There are certain things you just don't do over the phone or through email or texting. First of all, as you know, uh, people misread tonality uh, in the written word. Sometimes they take it the wrong way. Uh, good or bad, <laughs> and and if it's an important topic, you really should get face-to-face. So we really encourage folks to listen not only with your ears but their eyes, and the only way you can listen with your eyes too is to see the body language of the person that you're in that communication with. So that's one of the key things that we do to try to improve in that area. And then when it comes to you know, giving our team members time to check out, you know, and, and uh, turn off because I think people are more productive when they do have that, that time to rejuvenate and that downtime. And again, it starts with me. It starts with me and my management team, my leadership team. We've got to let our folks know that just because we emailed you on a Saturday night, unless we're in the middle of an acquisition or something, we don't expect you to reply to us. Better yet, though, as leaders, maybe we should put that email into a draft state to be sent on Monday so that it doesn't hit the inbox of the employee who thinks, oh, my gosh, it's the boss. I need to respond right away. I have no expectation. It's it's rare that I would ask an employee um, to, to be responding to emails to me on a Saturday or Sunday unless, again, we're working on a unique conference or a special acquisition. Um, and that I ask, uh, you know, all of our employees at that same respect level. When people are home and they've got their own time, unless it's a special project you're working on, give them that respect. People need that time to rejuvenate. They'll be much more productive when they are at work. Yeah, and it's so important that you're providing um, the employees of the Dwyer Group this opportunity. And I think your statement about, you know, just getting up and speaking with somebody face-to-face to see the body language um, allows us to interpret um, more importantly, because there's so much misinterpretation through a text, which has been done through a voice text or an email, um, because we're so fast, we're typing it so fast, we really don't listen to the word, we don't see the words. A lot of times mm-hmm. there's misspellings in the words. There's a lot of things that occur um, that the person on the other side can take it wrong. Now, you have a great story in the book about Paul O'Neill. He was the former CEO of Alcoa Aluminum, which most people know. And you tell this story to our listeners because his amazing determination to create a safe environment for his employees um, really not only perfected this safety record for Alcoa, but had a huge impact. And it's an initiative like this. Just take this initiative where this CEO stepped up through ethics and moral values, his code of ethics, and said, look, we're going to do what we have to do. Tell the story because it's truly that which you're trying to impart in the readers through this story to understand more about how important values are. Yeah, well, the beginning of his tenure as CEO, I think it was about 1987, one of the first things he told the plant managers was, from from now on, we're not going to budget for safety. As soon as anyone identifies anything that could get someone hurt, I want you to fix it, and we'll figure out how to pay for it. So he basically flew across the country, Greg, to meet with every union leader and hourly worker so he could tell them face-to-face about this command. It was really a command to his plant managers. And he gave um, the union leaders and the workers his home phone number. Back then, he didn't have a cell phone. (laughs) And he said, if they don't do what I say, I want you to call me on my home number. So he was very serious about it. And it wasn't just to look the part of a caring CEO. 
he actually went further and gathered a group of graduates from Carnegie Mellon University and asked them to create a real-time system for reporting safety issues in his plants. And one of the requirements that they came up with is that um, the reports were to include the names of those who were injured. And, you know, his legal counsel didn't really think it was a good idea. They were really uncomfortable with it. But he explained his reasoning, and he said one of the, the things he's learned is that if you're managing just numbers, you, you can forget about the people. He says it's a, it's a lot different. It's a lot different feeling when you're dealing with individuals and human lives, and, and these are real people. So if you know the names of the people and you can share with the team, you're, you're a fellow worker, so-and-so was hurt. We've got to stop these injuries. People are going to do a better job of stepping up. So he uh, wasn't all about the OSHA, you know, the recordable rates or, or anything about that. He was really more about the individual human being. Uh, human beings who worked for his family, as he saw it there at Alcoa. And this really just was a, um, an extension of, of his philosophy. As you mentioned, he had a very strong code of ethics. And he wanted his team members to be able to say yes to three basic questions. One is, can I say every day that I'm treated with dignity and respect by everyone I encounter, regardless of my pay grade? Number two, am I given the things I need, the education, the tools, the training, the encouragement, the, the proper um, feedback and constructive uh, direction when I need it? And finally, am I recognized for what I do by someone and that I know that they care about me? So that philosophy took Alcoa a long way. In his 13 years as CEO, the company went from a 1.86 lost workdays per 100 workers to 0.2, like you said, almost no safety incidents at all. And that's the kind of leadership that converts into profitability for a company like that because it was doing the right thing by the people. And I, I have a very quick story, Greg, if we've got a minute. I'd like to share if I could. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. One, one more quick story. And this, this, is, this is right at home with me at the Dwyer Group. You know, we've been in business for 34 years, and we have an amazing group of, of team members and franchisees here at Dwyer. I could never talk about the values the way that I do if they weren't really working hard to live them. Knowing that we're not perfect, I have to always give that disclaimer. We are not, I am not perfect. Nobody in my company is perfect. We do make mistakes on a regular basis. But we, we built such a great culture here at Dwyer for caring for our people that the private equity partner that originally took us private in 2003. We were publicly traded on NASDAQ. They took us private in 2003. They sold us in 2010 to get a return on their investment, and they bought us back just three years later, Greg. And you know, the three main reasons they bought us back, number one, culture. They said, you don't find very many companies with the caring culture, the missionary culture that the Dwyer Group has about how to treat people. Number two is a great management team that we have here at the Dwyer Group. And number three was the growth opportunities. But one of the key reasons was because of our culture. And they, in fact, implemented their own code of values after doing business with the Dwyer Group. And so did our second private equity partner because they saw the benefits to living with values. It, it translates into wealth and relationships. And at the end of the day, it translates into profitability. That's not why we do it necessarily. We do it because of the people, but it, it converts. Well, it's a testament to living those values. And obviously, your father was a great study of leaders, um, started this course you've picked up, and the rest of uh, your employees and executives have exemplified this. And it's it really is in the DNA of uh, the Dwyer Group. And so obviously, I could see how they would be affected by that. Again, you were the light, you were the beacon, you helped an outside firm see it wasn't all about money. Uh, the most important thing were these values 
which uh, ultimately in the long run pay off so much more than short term just you know can i flip a company and make some money off of it so for, what i'm going to i just say it pays off for everybody because what we were able to do with that that last acquisition that riverside acquired us back um, just august of last year we were able to um, have a million dollar uh, bonus that we split amongst all of our employees at the Dwyer Group is our thank you for them living our values and, and working hard to serve our franchisees and customers. It's a, it's a great story, Dina. And for my listeners, uh, the book is called Values, Inc., How Incorporating Values into Business and Life Can Change the World. We've been speaking with Dina Dwyer Owens. Um, this book is a great book for anybody. You don't have to be in business. Um, you can take the principles from this and apply them to your own life. Um, for those of you who want to know more, you can visit values-inc.com. There's a hyphen in between there. You can also follow them on Twitter at values underscore inc. Um, you can also go to Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash values inc. And we'll have all of these um, links in the blog as well. Dina, thanks so much for being on with us today and, again, sharing some of your insights about how values have guided not only the growth of your company, but truly how it's helped to mold more employees who care more about customers and really take this all to heart. Thanks so much for being on the show with us. I'm honored to be on, Greg, and I, I just invite the listeners to join this movement to do good and right in business and in life, and we, we together can change the world. Thank you so much.